welcome to the Coaches View podcast, a podcast hosted by professional football coaches and analysts. Football has returned well and truly. The Premier League is back. The The first round of weekend fixtures is over and um, lots and lots to talk about. And that's what we're going to be discussing today. I am one of your hosts, Harry Brooks, and I'm joined as always by Richard Webster. Richard, hello, mate. Hi, mate. You good? Yeah, buzzing, buzzing. Football has returned well and truly. The Premier League is back. Um, and yeah, so much to talk about. So much to talk about. Um, how have you found it? Yeah, brilliant, mate. Brilliant. So you're um, you're not having it at the Serie A then? That's not that's not good enough. Straight back into the Premier League. Yeah, that's where football Listen, is. Until the Premier League returns, <laughs> nobody can say football was back until Premier League is back. It's the home <laughs> of football. No, of course. No, 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 I love but, the uh, I love the extreme bias, mate. I'm not, mate. I'm, I'm not um, putting up a different opinion. I agree with you totally. I, I like the fact that Germany came back and there was lots of goals back and forth. Then we had a little bit of a Liga. In between, Serie A came back with a couple of nil-nils. So. Yeah. Well, to be honest, I don't, I don't, I don't mind saying this. I, I yeah, think there's please. a lot of things nowadays that, you know, people, they, there's a lot of people nowadays that say they know everything about every player in league and there just simply isn't enough time in the world. So I don't mind saying yeah. there are certain leagues and, and clubs I don't watch. So, for example, I'm a huge fan of of like, you know, obviously the Premier League. I love watching Eredivisie. I love watching the Bundesliga. Um, more so maybe clubs that we tend to work with and, and uh, countries we tend to work with. So I actually, I love watching a few specific clubs like Red Bull Salzburg, uh, for example. Obviously, it's yeah. not a, the Austrian League isn't a league I avidly watch, but certain clubs and teams and players. Um, but yeah, if I'm being completely honest, Syria isn't really a league that um, I spend too much time on if I'm being completely yeah, sure. honest. Well, that might be a subject for a future podcast, mate, because that what I've grown up myself... Uh, that was the number one league, and that's obviously changed quite a lot. Yeah, so well, I, I love it as well on a Sunday morning. Yeah, Golazzo with uh, <laughs> going. Well, I'm with you completely, mate. I mean, for me now, the Premier League being back means just, we're well and truly underway, which is brilliant. There's been some great games uh, over the course of the last few days as well, so we'll cover those, some of the good things we've seen, some upsets in there, some excitement, thrills and spills as always. Uh, obviously, no crowds, so there's still a bit of you know, still a bit of a strange feeling around that. You know um, what? The lack of crowd hasn't really affected how I watch the game at all. Um, the okay. second, it, the second, it, yeah, the second it kicks off, I'm straight into the game. I'm straight into the the nuance of the game and analysing straight away. And like, are you watching it with with the uh, with the crowd noise, or if you watching well, any games honest, without I'd, the crowd noise? I genuinely, I would rather watch it without the crowd noise. I, yeah, I, quite, I, I quite like hearing how they speak to each other. Um, yeah. But my brother and uh, dad, they uh, they want to watch it with the crowd noise. So two versus one, I kind of lost that argument. <laughs> I think um, they've done really well with the crowd noise. I've been watching a lot of the German league. They... Yeah, it's good. They've got, they've got it wrong a few times. There's been a few times when it's gone into the side netting and all of a sudden you hear a cheer. Like a goal's been scored like two seconds later. But to be fair, it has made a bit of a difference. You, do, you can immerse yourself back into it and forget that actually there is no crowd at times. And then obviously yeah. it pans out to like, if it goes out to the right wing and you say, oh, there you go, there's... There's the empty seats and it brings There's you back. There's also been some really interesting uh, when you hear the players uh, shouting at each other. So there was one yeah. uh, in the Spurs-Manchester United game where Lloris is giving Aurier absolute pelters for giving the <laughs> ball away. Um, he, he ended up pulling off a remarkable save, but as soon yeah. as he does, he's straight over to Serge Aurier and you can hear what he's saying. And uh, I thought that was quite amusing. So yeah, yeah, it's a little bit different in that regard. But yeah, have you enjoyed the games? Have you enjoyed the games, mate? Um, I have overall. Um, yeah. I think they're they're actually they've been a lot more pragmatic and sensible than the Bundesliga games. So, I mean, just off the top of my head, I mean, I'm not going to list them out there, but I can think of you know quite a few games of the weekend that was nil nil at halftime or even ended nil nil. Um, I think managers and clubs are approaching it in a lot more of a pragmatic manner. 
than perhaps Bundesliga sides that seem to be a bit more gung-ho and really going for it. Um, I think Premier League managers um, are assessing, not assessing, but they're understanding that the situation is very bizarre. There hasn't been a pre-season a long time without football and they don't want to get caught on the counter. They don't want to get caught open. So they're, they've been a bit more safe. I mean, we saw the setup. Obviously, we both watched the, we'll get onto it, but Spurs versus Man United and how yeah. um, compact and um, how Spurs set up in a mid slash low block um, and really not looking to leave too much space. Um, and I completely understand why clubs and managers are doing that. You know, it, it, it takes people, I think people underestimate um, how difficult it is to get back into, to get the energy back in the legs and get, and get match fitness again without actually playing matches. So, yeah, we've course, seen some some teams have obviously suffered injuries. I think Arsenal have probably been probably been the worst hit, or certainly um, yeah. they've had the most high profile. Um, what did you uh, think? Injuries, what did you yeah. think? Just quickly on that, obviously the the, the injury yesterday to Burton Leno, um, nothing to do with the the conditions. It was a complete freak. Uh, but Neil Mope got a lot of stick for that. Um, I think. Um, but it was ridiculous, mate. I, I think, think it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, but, he's yeah, perfectly completely. entitled to go for it. Um, he's apologised afterwards and said, "Look, these things happen in football." Um, you get hit off the ball, and I, I, I just thought it was—I don't know—it was a bit too strong that they were seeking him out at the final whistle. And I think, yeah. look, I think that was a few things. I think it was a frustration of of having yeah. thrown it away. Really, I think it was the ninety fourth minute, wasn't it? Something like that, um, where they eventually, you know, uh, lost. Um, so then your emotions are high, and uh, I really think it was um, uh, something and nothing, mate. Not yeah. Well, know, I you see those yeah. challenges all the time, and it's very unfortunate. And obviously, nobody wishes an injury on, upon another professional or anything like that. Uh, but he's apologised afterwards, and I think he even said that he went over to to Mikel Arteta and apologised at the time or at half time or after the game or whatever it was. Yeah. So you know, it's not been done with any malicious intent, and no. uh, for them to be singling him out and stuff like that after the game was just a bit silly, really. Bit of nothing. Well, my point on it was, you know, um, could he have perhaps pulled out? Yeah, maybe. Um, may, could he have left something on Leno purposefully? You know, um, probably. Um, is there anything wrong with that? Not at all. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, just the stuff that happens in football. It happens, happens in football. It was just a complete freak that Bernd Leno just happened to do his knee. It's unfortunate. But yeah, um, yeah. it... It's all well and good saying, oh, that's not a very nice thing to do. But unfortunate, well, whether you call it unfortunate or not, that is part of football. You do sometimes leave a bit extra on the opponent. And and as long as it's not done in a malicious way to actually hurt an injured player, there's nothing wrong with that. There just isn't. And you're caught, you're so caught, if you've played the game, you're so caught up in the heat of the moment. You're going for a ball. It's so competitive. It's very difficult to all of a sudden, in a split second, to just take away that intensity and completely back out. Um, so, no, I think those that are going after Neil Mopay, um, very, very harsh to go after him. He done, you know, that is just part of the game, as you said. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, do you think that the, the Premier League game so far has been as exciting as Bundesliga? Or do you agree with me that it's perhaps been a bit more um, sensible um, for want of a better no, I word? Think it's, I think it's had a bit of everything, mate. There's been some dull games, of course. I think the teams are a little bit cautious, you might say, definitely. Um, the, it's the first round of fixtures back, but generally speaking, I think the good teams are the good teams, and the, and the less well, the less good teams mm. are still the less good teams. Um, there's been some great results and some fantastic goals, yeah, um, some unbelievable goals, uh, and it'll be really interesting to see. Um, I don't think we'll see for a few weeks which teams are, are, are adapting the best. Obviously, no. the first weekend's a bit of a tricky one, kind of a, almost a free hit. Um, yeah. But some teams have had more difficult fixtures than others, but. 
no, I think it's I think it's been really good. Generally speaking, obviously the energy levels are probably a little bit low. What'll be interesting to see is what happens over the next two weeks because they're fitting a lot of games in and is the conditioning going to start to like really come into it or will they have time to get the the conditioning into the legs in training? That's going to be that's going to be interesting to see. Well, we've already seen so far how it, the the new rule about the subs allowing five subs is really helping the bigger sides compared to the yeah. maybe slightly smaller sides. I mean, I mean, we can use that as a as a reason to get straight into an analysis or our analysis of the first game we're going to talk about. Um, Tottenham at home to Man United now. Well, I'm, I'm just before we say about that, I'm, I'm actually really against this five substitutes rule. I think right. it's, um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's just there to be. It's, it's, Sort of being busy, busy for no reason, making up rules. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing is as well, who's that? That can only benefit the deeper squads and that's the bigger clubs. So I think that's unfair. So well, you, like, play, yeah. you play 29 games or 30 games, whatever it is. I think it's 29 um, under one set of rules. And now we're playing uh, the rest of the games under a different set of rules. That's different from the drinks break uh, because that doesn't have, that can't have a tangible effect yeah. um, on the game. They've inserted a drinks break for whatever reason um in both halves okay fine and everyone's bought into that but to say that you can make five substitutions how does that not benefit uh manchester city liverpool manchester united those teams above uh burnley you know southampton bournemouth teams that don't have those deep squads and those um international players on the bench i think that's that's a ridiculous decision I completely agree. And again, that segues very nicely into the the chat about Tottenham versus Man United. And it's not to say that, that Spurs are a small team or have a small squad, but put it this way. Um, if Spurs were allowed, or if Spurs had, let's say, um, the attacking options on the bench that Man United could bring on, I think it turns into a very different game. Um, I think this first half from Spurs, they performed very well. Um, they were organised, compact, disciplined. Um, the players were... They knew their roles um, and they hit Man United quite quickly a few times. And that's where um, Stevie Bergwijn's goal came from. Um, (laughs) Fantastic goal. But then when you saw into the second half, as the players' legs inevitably tired, um, quite unfortunately, I guess, the Spurs didn't have any attacking in terms of forwards on the bench. Um, Spurs got deeper and deeper um, as the legs tired and they didn't have an out ball. Whereas Man United brought on, uh, they could bring on Pogba, Greenwood, um, now, again, Spurs could bring on fantastic players, and they did so. And I do think that Mourinho could have perhaps been innovative. I think he could have maybe put Lacelso up top um, to get some legs going up front and then maybe bring Ndombele on. But I kind of see Mourinho's point of only making two substitutions because he didn't want to make any subs to the defence because there wasn't really the right time to do that. So he had yeah. to make substitutions to the midfield. And he'd already changed the midfield twice. And where he'd obviously, the, the team was so organised and so disciplined and worked on a setup. If you make too many changes to one area of the pitch, that can have a negative effect, if you see what I'm saying. So I think that if, if Lucas Mora even was fit enough to just be on the bench and they could have been brought on to have that legs in behind and that, that threat in behind and keep allow Spurs to keep having that outball, I don't think May United pushed them as high up as they did. And I don't think Man United going to get the equaliser, um, which yeah, they I, probably deserved. I think they deserved it over yeah, the balance. They did. Uh, 100%. They did. I don't think any team can be disappointed with how it turned out. Um, I was a bit disappointed at the Tottenham's um, maybe lack of intent in the second half, but that might be down to the legs and the changes, like you said. Um, yeah, I think it's their own fault if they don't have the, the forwards on the bench to bring on. Um, 
it is what it is. Um, not hopefully that's something that he fixes in the summer or or if he feels that he needs to. But they looked like they had a, a few things. Like Kane looked a bit leggy. He didn't really look his um his usual self. So he struggled a little bit. But then how do you bring off Harry Kane when it's it's a difficult one? Um, and like you said, they did miss Lucas off the bench to bring on as an option. I thought the glaring wasn't one was in Dombele. I thought yeah. it would have been would have been good to bring him on and just change things a little bit. Yeah, uh, you know you've got Sessignon on there, but he obviously still still doesn't, for whatever reason, trust him enough to throw him in there for these ones. Um, so that is what it is. But yeah, overall, I think it was a fair result. Um, great to see Pogba back, of course. If you're a Manchester United fan, yeah, uh, it does make a difference. And I like what they've done. This is why I was saying the other week. This is why I think they're really close. I really do think they're close. Um, yeah. The fullbacks are decent. Um, the midfield's getting better and better. You've got Pogba. If they can work out where to put him consistently, then you're fine. And now you shouldn't be short of goals. So Martial comes off. Igalo comes on. He's a very, very good player. Uh, Greenwood comes on. And we all, you know, everyone who knows about this young lad now, I think he's going to be absolutely top draw. Uh, so you've got goals there. Pogba's, you know, always a threat uh, and is always a good provider of goals as well. And you've still got Rashford. So they shouldn't struggle for goals. I think they're actually going to be very close. Um, and overall, I think if that game had gone on a little bit longer, Manchester United, they look more likely to nick it, if anything. I think that United, I agree with you, they're, they're very close um, to having a, a an exceptional, exceptional side that could potentially change for the title. I think that an area of weakness that they do maybe have is actually the wide options, in the sense, starting from the fullbacks, believe it or not. So I think if you actually look at the balance of the team, um, if you look at the statistics this season, I don't have them on me, but uh, Man United attacked down the left-hand side far more than the right-hand side. Um, mm. Now, I think that Man United will sign Jadon Sancho in the summer um, from everything that I've heard and um, from people that might know. Um, so I do think that one will happen and he's more than likely going to play on the right. But I don't think, for example, the dynamic of Aaron Wan-Bissaka and Sancho down the right kind of works because... Where Sancho is more of a creative player that, um, you know, is better higher up the pitch um, rather than driving and exploding, um, doesn't really stick to the touchline. He, he comes in and drifts and um, links play, etc., and combines. Um, where's that outlet and that explosive outlet on the right-hand side for Man United? Because Aaron Wan-Bissaka is very defensive. Yeah. And then if you look towards the left-hand side, both Luke Shaw and Brandon Williams, they prefer to carry the ball inside, um, as does Marcus Rashford. So... I think that needs to be sorted. And one thing that I would consider doing if I was Man United is maybe converting Wan-Bissaka um, to the other side as an inverted fullback on the left-hand side because where he's not um, amazing at overlapping um, or progressing the ball, you know, you could have perhaps Pogba as a left centre midfielder comes, picks the ball up of his feet. So Wan-Bissaka doesn't really have to deal with progressing the ball. You could have Rashford that's on the left-hand side who's very good at picking it up and driving the ball forward. And then I would play Ethan Laird on the right back, who I think is a fantastic talent, um, a more typical modern day fullback. And I think that a dynamic of Ethan Laird and Sancho on the right hand side, and then Wan Bissaka and um, Rashford on the left hand side, um, is far more balanced than what we would perhaps seeing right now. Because where Man United are attacking so regular down the left hand side, it can make their attacks quite one dimensional, I think. Uh, yeah, maybe. I think we've got to give Sancho and Wan-Bissaka the benefit of the doubt, considering they're so young still. So I don't think there's any any reason why Wan-Bissaka can't turn into that type of fullback that you want him to be. Um, the dynamic between him and Sancho gets sorted out, obviously, when they start playing together. I think it's a bit... Um, it's going to be... <laughs> I mean, it sounds nice on paper, but converting Wan-Bissaka now into a left-back and then, and then 
starting Ethan Laird. That's a big call. Um, I don't see them going that in that direction. That's why um, I get paid the big bucks, Richard. That's why I get paid <laughs> the big bucks to make these calls, mate. <laughs> let's let's see if Wally takes your suggestion on board, mate. I think yeah. Mabasak is turning into one of the best right backs in the country, and I actually don't think like uh, everyone's getting obsessed now with uh, attacking fullbacks, and you have to get up and down, you have to do it this way. Yeah, but uh, we speak all of the time about players' qualities and, and then playing to their qualities. He's a very, very good defensive fullback. He's one of the best one-on-one defenders in world football, as we've seen, you know, time and time again. And he's still really young and developing. So I think they're fine with him where they are. And then you could just you could fix that problem with uh, with changing or tweaking how you how you play through the, through the middle of the park. Um, it'll be different for Sancho because he won't have that Hakimi figure coming around yeah. the outside of him so often. But he's young enough and good enough to be able to adapt. Who knows? They might play Sancho more centrally in a sort of a an inside right position, like a, almost a ten. Um, they've got options. I agree. That's the biggest weakness in the team is the width and how they deal with their width. I think they're yeah. very, very good um, in other areas. Yeah. Um, but I just don't think they've got a dynamic yet of, you know, James on one side, maybe Rashford or Martial on the other side. They, they still haven't figured it out. It's just not quite there yet, is it? And I think that's why yeah. they struggle against maybe compact, deep, low blocks. Um, whereas, you know, when, when teams are perhaps more open against them, then you've got the threat and the pace and the dynamism of players like Sancho and maybe James and Pogba finding those runs. Um, because there's not really too many. They don't really have to pick the locks. and They don't have to um, positionally um, score goals, if that makes sense. Um, I still think they're missing, they're still missing, and it's really difficult to say, but they're still missing a, a real leader character. So the team's got amazing young uh, talent, and I think it's got goals all of the way through if they can if they can figure it out. So Rashford's full of goals, Martial as well is going to score goals. Bruno Fernandes is coming in done brilliantly. Uh, James is electric when he's on fire, doesn't add enough goals. He started really brightly, but he needs to find his feet again. Greenwood, we know, is going to score goals. Um, but in terms of experience, in terms of the guy who gives you that confidence, that swagger. So, uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago that Tottenham away would have been a game that they would be dominating. Yeah. Um, now it's a game they're second favourites in. So, mm. And I think a large part of that comes down to that swagger and that dominance and that, that confidence. Pogba gives you a little bit of that, but he, he's, not the, he's not the leader character. Uh, who spreads that confidence through the rest of the team because he's just still so um, not erratic. That's the wrong word, but he still lacks the consistency um, to spread that confidence. Bruno Fernandes has done it to a certain degree because he's come in and he's been not just steady, he's been really good. Um, And he breeds confidence through the rest of the team because he knows he's good and he wants to get on the ball and he's got the bravery to get on the ball. That's a little bit of what they're missing. Whether Sancho can give them that, I don't know. He's a terrific player. Uh, but it will be a step up to come from uh, Dortmund to play at Manchester United because the expectations through the roof. Um, Dortmund have just come runners up for, well, Bayern Munich have won the league for the eighth time in a row. Yeah. I don't know how many times Dortmund have come second, but they're very, very used to not winning the league. Yeah. Um, where we spoke about this in previous podcasts, where it's like, it's all right to not win the league. It's still, yeah. it's still not accepted at Manchester United. You know, they, they've got to do better. That's the whole vibe about the club is must do better. So Sancho's yeah. going to walk into that. Let, well, presuming he comes, uh, he's going to walk into an environment like that. That's not going to be easy. So they need guys. They need leaders in there and guys with confidence who are going to help the rest of the team. Um, I think it's a heavy shirt for a young player. 
So um, that, that's just one extra thing that they're missing. But I think they're close. I think they're pretty close. I do slightly disagree with Pogba, if I'm being honest. I do believe that when he comes onto the pitch, the rest of his teammates must get some kind of lift because all of a sudden there's that they now have that play that they know could do something special and yeah, but it's, what I'm talking about is he, he can do something special, but it's the inconsistency. You've mm. seen the brilliance, you've seen the flashes, you've seen you've seen games where he's the best player on the park. Yeah. Um, but then it's the it's it, it, he's not consistently at that level. He yeah. doesn't do it five, six, seven games in a row. He just doesn't. He's never yeah. had, you've never gone, yeah, Pogba, he's taking this season by storm. There's been seasons when Eden Hazard was at Chelsea, just the last example I can think of. Yeah. And every time he goes onto the field, he's like, well, I'll win this then. And he yeah. takes the team forward and the team plays through him. And he yeah. breeds the confidence through the entire team because he realizes he's on another level from everyone else on the pitch. And so he delivers at that level. Thierry Henry used to do the same. And there's been plenty of other players in between. Uh, Roy Keane used to do that. Uh, Pogba's not Roy Keane. They play different positions. They have different styles. What I'm saying is, he's the is he the best player at Manchester United? I think so. He probably is, yes. Yeah. Um, but does he always play the best? Nope. So that's what yeah. they miss. You need someone. If you're the best, then you have to be the best every week. Yeah. No, it, I, I do agree with that. Um, as you said, I, I do think he gives Basil list, as you said, and he... You know, and it's so difficult. That that's it's so so hard to to for players to maintain that mental consistency um, of you know the intensity, the focus, and not allowing your standards to dip. And that's why a player like Jordan Henderson, who has that, perhaps isn't anywhere near as talented as on the ball or whatever, as perhaps even plays in League Two. But because he has that mental, um, you know, that mental intensity and focus and drive at all times for himself and his teammates are never letting his standards dip. That's why a player like Jordan Henderson can be a captain of a a, a Champions League winning team and then a Premier yeah. League winning team the season after. So if Popper had that, then he would be one of the best players of all time. No question. But it's very, very, very difficult to have that. And yeah, having that play that I, I think, I think actually that Bruno Fernandes can be that player. You alluded to it earlier. I really do. I believe that Bruno yeah. Fernandes can be that player that can be relied upon time and time again um, and just be that real class above. Um, so yeah, before we move on, maybe a quick chat about Tottenham Hotspur. Um, I want to focus myself something specifically that I don't think has ever worked, even though it was a big part of getting to a Champions League final, which sounds mad to say. I really don't like the Winks and Sissoko double pivot. Um, I think that it leaves too many gaps. I think the Winks um, is a good player in a certain setup. I don't think Winks is a player that is very good next to Sissoko because, for example, um, you know, I think Winks needs a sitter behind him rather than being the sitter. Um, he's got Winks has got this style of like very energetic. He charges after everything, but he's got very small legs and he's he, he can't cover ground the same way with a long stride. So he's very easy to bypass which would be not the biggest issue if you had a positionally disciplined player covering his space, which Sissoko isn't. So I'll just, I just thought that, you know, when Pogba came on, they were just waiting to be carved open, to be honest, that midfield partnership. And they've done well at the beginning, but for me, that's a, that's a pivot that just doesn't work. I mean, what do you think about that? Because we've seen a lot of it now. Yeah, I agree, man. I, I don't think it works at all. I, I don't think there's anyone there who's supposed to sit and screen the defence. It just doesn't work. Neither of them are doing that job properly. Yeah. Uh, Winks isn't robust enough to do that job and then if he does that job you miss out on his qualities which are actually transferring the ball forward with his passing it's really excellent at that opening the game up and keeping the flow of the of the passing yes 
um, which you you would lose. Um, also, he's not defensively good enough to play that position. No. He's just not, and he's not robust enough physically. I mean, you know, teams will target him. Uh, he's a terrific player, but he needs someone in there who's a designated uh, defensive midfielder. And Sissoko's not that guy. Um, yeah. it, so it just doesn't work. Sissoko's got qualities and Winks have got qualities. If they had someone next to them who was doing that, then it might work. But as it as it is, it's probably yeah, it's it's probably not quite working. But let's see what he does in the summer. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, I think that we probably have to talk about um, Arsenal Football yep. Club. They're struggling, aren't they? Big it's time. just not gone very well, is it, mate? <laughs> it's, it's just, I think the, uh, they're in a situation right now where it's just not an issue. I mean, you can say the Spurs are struggling, right? But I think that generally right now, the things at the club at Spurs, the setup and uh the squad, it's, it's kind of there. It just needs a bit of tweaking. It's, it's going in the right direction. I have no idea what direction Arsenal is going in right now, other than downwards. You know, the, 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 the team seems to just be completely unbalanced and massive holes everywhere. Um, their star player, Aubameyang, is now 30 and out of contract next season. Their youngest, brightest spark, arguably, Bukayo Saka, is out of contract next season. Um the the direction of the club they just they they're really really struggling right now aren't they uh yeah it hasn't been great for them since the um since this uh return to football the results haven't gone their way obviously but they've never looked like getting results either i thought they were you know it's it's difficult you start with manchester city away as your first game um there's only one team who's going to go there with any sort of expectation of getting the result and that's liverpool yeah. Uh, so it, it didn't surprise us. I thought they did okay for sort of 25 minutes. Then Man City turned up the heat and they lost. Um, yeah. On top of that, they got injuries to key to key players and key areas. Yeah. So I know he's, he gets a lot of stick from time to time, and this is where fans are a bit short-sighted maybe, but Granit Xhaka, you know, missing. That's a big miss. It's a huge miss. It's, it's a really big miss when you're not, you know, you're not blessed with, you know, strong combative midfielders um, with that level of experience. and. Uh, consistency that he brings. So, I think maybe maybe fans will disagree, but I think that's a big miss for them. Um, so they came out of that game really badly. You know, it's one thing losing three 0 but it's another thing. It was a disaster. What uh, you know, David Luiz had a disastrous performance. So he's obviously missing for this game as well. So already you've had like a few changes forced upon you. Um, it's not an ideal circumstance to go into the game, and then it's just the same old frailties. I think. I think, I don't know, he scored a great goal, but I think Pepe, the jury's still out. Um, well, I was going to ask you then, we might as well do it now. What do you think of Pepe? Um, I have my my opinions, but I'd like to hear yours first. Uh, it's really difficult. I think it's really hard to judge as well. I don't want to be unfair because he's still a young player, um, but he's not young um, in the sense of, you know, he's, he's not young in the sense of, you know, uh, Mason Greenwood. You know, this is this is a player who's who's got a decent amount of games under his belt in France as well. Um, and you know he's had a settling in period, and he's just not showing the flashes that you know you'd expect to see, given the price tag and given the hype around him. And you can see he's got—he's obviously got ability. He can go to play, he can beat a player. It seems to be a confidence issue. It seems to be a confidence that, and sometimes he drifts out of games. Sometimes he, he, he might not be in games for long periods. Um, and I don't know whether that's an, like the desire or anything like that. Uh, to get onto the ball or the bravery to get onto the ball or maybe feels he's playing in the wrong system. It doesn't help that he's going into a team that didn't really have a set identity when he arrived. Um, so I don't think they had any clue of how they were going to use him. 
on how they were going to get the best out of him. But I think that's where he struggled. I think the only consistency they've got at the moment is Aubameyang. Um, and that's about it. So my, Pepe... my, yeah, my beliefs on Pepe is ordinarily, I would say that a team with the situation that Arsenal are in, spending nearly £80 million on a player from Liga um, that's most, that a lot of their cut is goal output came from penalties is a really silly risk to take. The only thing that I would say is that for me, and I've spoken about this before, um, I believe that goals from the right wing position um, are the hardest things to find in football. It is the hardest role to find in football. It's the most sought after, um, I would say, position to find in football. Regular goals from that position is very, very difficult to find. And he has the potential, I think, um, to be a consistent goal scorer from that area of the pitch. Which yeah, but if you're very... Arsenal, goals from right wing is the least of your problems. They haven't been well, we... defensively sound for four or five years. They haven't well, been. Yeah, they, 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 centre midfield is 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 so imbalanced and it's so lacking in, in experience and, and sort of you know any any real character. They they don't control games. They don't control the tempo of games. Aubameyang is the only consistent source of goals. So grabbing a few goals from right wing is not going to solve any problems. I think it was a bizarre signing. Um, Whilst I, I agree with that, I do think that if you look, I think that if you want to become an established top, top side, I do believe the first area of the team you need to hit first and fix first are the attack. So if you look at when Jurgen Klopp joined Liverpool, you know, for a while, they were very, very poor defensively under Jurgen Klopp, um, if people don't remember. But he fixed the attack first. He got the threats. He got the goals in. And then once he became that established force up front, then he added the defenders. Then he added the the um, the centre backs, the goalkeeper, um, the defensive midfielder Fabinho. Once he'd already established that forward line, um, so I think actually I I think if a goal scorer that you believe in will go on to hit regular numbers in that position, um, and you truly believe it, I don't blame them for going for Pepe. Whether it's the right I think thing or that's, not, I think that's an individual approach. I actually think you fix the defence first because okay. um, I, I think traditionally what teams have done is gone through the spine of the team and your right wing is not part of the spine of the team. I think they've mm -hmm. got a, a decent goalkeeper. Um, you know, Socrates maybe can turn into something for them at the back. Uh, they've got a decent centre forward in Aubameyang. Forget the age, forget the contract. He's a decent source of goals. While he's there, he's going to score goals. Yeah, um, Lacazette's not a bad player either. Um, bit inconsistent, but so... In that sense, the spine of the team's okay. They need a big improvement, I would say. At centre-back, they need to form some kind of a pairing, and they've got a big hole in the midfield. Uh, mm. If you can sort that out, then you've got the makings of a decent side. Um, without that, you can have as talented a right-winger as you want, as talented as a left-winger as you want, great full-backs. But if you haven't got good centre-backs, a strong goalkeeper, a strong presence in midfield, and a constant source of goals from strikers, then you're going to struggle. But um, is it not easier to sign a um, solid centre-back than a perhaps potential world-class forward that scores regular goals? I mean, I guess what I'm asking is, you know, you can look around the market and find quite a few centre-backs that a club like Arsenal could sign to improve them. They really haven't done that. Maybe, well, I think they've done that with Saliba. Um, I think he's fantastic, but obviously he hasn't been there this year. Um, he'll be there next season. Um, but what I'm more saying is, do you pass up an opportunity to sign a world-class forward 
um, even if you do have glaring weaknesses elsewhere, um, when perhaps those positions are a little bit easier to fix. So I would say it's easier to fix a, I would say it's easier to find a good centre-back um, that's good enough than it is to find a consistent, regular goal scorer in the forward position. Um, and if I you... agree, but I don't think Pepe is a consistent, regular goal scorer. Mm. And if it was that easy to find um, good not easy, half, not easy, not easy, easier. If it was easier to find good centre-halves, then um, the, the sort of money you've spoken about this before, Harry Maguire wouldn't be going for that sort of money. He's a very, mm. very good player, but he shouldn't be going for that sort of money. Um, mm. there's, a real, there's a real dearth of defenders, of really good central defenders um, at, at the top level. So that's why Van Dijk changes that team. I don't think he consciously went out and, and put goals into the team and then worked backwards from there. Um, mm. I think if, if you're building a team, I think you go through the spine of the team. Every team needs a good goalkeeper, which they've got. Um, they're not good enough at centre centre back. They're not. They're nowhere near good enough in midfield. Mm. Um, they've got a decent centre forward. The wide players, they, they can come and go. You can you can find wide players who can do a job. You can change the style of play. But you've said you've said about uh, a lot about um, Jordan Henderson at Liverpool, adding control, adding measure to the midfield. Without yeah. that, you're lost. All of the good teams need that. Yeah, um, no. I, I think there's there's plenty of attacking talent out there. There's really good attacking players. Um, centre forwards much harder to come by, um, and really really strong centre backs would have been, I'm sure, much higher on the shopping list for most fans of Arsenal. A good centre back and a decent midfielder. Fair enough. Fair enough. Let's move on. Um, we are going to talk about the other games, but I guess that the first, well, the ne- the next, well, not the next one of arguably the biggest game of the weekend. Um, didn't really, not much happened in the end. Was the Merseyside derby. Um, Everton versus Liverpool. Um, Stinker. Shocking. Yeah, yeah, ended up nil-nil. Uh, Ancelotti um, done a job on yeah. Liverpool, to be fair. Um, should have won Tough it. one for Liverpool though, isn't it? I very mean, tough, very know, tough, yeah. It's, it's hard, you know, they've had all this time, time. A bit like the Arsenal one. Arsenal go to Manchester City, you know, how's your luck? That That's the hardest hardest place to go anyway um let alone after lockdown uh and then you know different situation and liverpool go to their fiercest rivals who can always up their game for that game so and they're so far ahead that they know that they'll get the league at some point so what do you do do you exert yourself and try and they couldn't have won the league that day anyway yeah um because manchester city picked up points so yeah it was a really tough one but that one that that happens doesn't it derby sometimes they cancel each other out yeah, um, Everton could have arguably won it. They towards the end. I really do like um, the partnership of Richarlison and Do- Dominic Calvert Lewin. Um, yeah. I think that's a really effective partnership. It's a partnership that can um, play in between the width of the penalty box as well as run the channels. Um, there's pace, there's power, there's skill, there's variety, um, and there now seems to be um, goals that seem to be happening from. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, anyway, he seems to have really become more of a regular goal scorer, um, which is fantastic to see. Um, so I do like that partnership. Um, I think there's a, I think there's a lot to like about Everton, to be honest. There's potential with that squad. They need, they do need a lot of additions. Carlo Ancelotti will appreciate that, obviously. But I think there's, I think there's something to be done with them, to be honest. I really do. Yeah, you've spoken about that partnership before, and I agree with you, mate. Young players. Uh, they play with verve and intensity. There's a nice mixture there of aggression, skill. Uh, they score goals from different areas as well. So I quite like it. 
It is quite good. It's just, it'll be, look, it'll remain to be seen whether he can put a consistent team out because that's always been their problem. Consistency. They need a serious yeah. refresh in certain areas of the field. Yeah. That's, too, that's definitely a partnership that fans can start to get excited about. Whether that's going to push them up, uh, you know, up, up into the upper reaches of the you know, top six, top seven, I, I struggle to see that one. But they're going to, they've got something to start with anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything on Liverpool other than they're just they're going to win the league eventually um, matter of time mate matter of time matter of it was time. just yeah, yeah one of those games you never really clicked yeah yeah it was a strange one I thought I was really impressed actually I was really happy with uh, with Newcastle United that was a great result for them well Absolutely. I was going to say yeah. let's now move on to other maybe rather than talking about specific games but maybe some teams or certain players so obviously you want to talk about Newcastle United uh, yeah yeah I'm, I'm well I'm really happy for them and I'm really happy for Steve Bruce uh, yeah, good results. Um, obviously, the sending off the sending off helps, but um, there was a Almiron. I thought Almiron was excellent. So yeah. I know you speak about him quite a lot, and um, you, you know you're a real fan of his his drive and his pace and the way that he plays. Um, and he was superb in that game. So um, he, he added what they what they needed. It obviously, he still needs to get goals, but. He was instrumental in getting up, up them up the field. Um, they attacked with sort of intensity, with a bit of purpose. Uh, San Maxim had a good game, so he's really inconsistent, but he did have a good game this time. And well, uh, say, Joe Linton with, got. Sorry? Yeah. No, I was going to say with Saint Maximin before you move on to Joe Linton. Um, I think for a club like Newcastle, I think a player like Saint Maximin, he goes above maybe goals and stats, and yeah. it's almost it's acceptable that he doesn't provide that because what he does provide to a team that is so often lacking in spark and ingenuity and, and giving off energy. Um, he does that. He gives energy to the fans. He gives energy to his teammates. He gives creativity. He gives excitement with what he does. And you can't underestimate. We spoke earlier about how he's put, how, you know, players giving lifts to their team and him being able to do that gives so much lift and joy and excitement to the crowd. I know there's no crowd at the moment, um, but that, in turn, gives excitement and lift to the players and gives them an extra buzz. Um, so I think it's actually okay for him, for a club like Newcastle, to maybe not be a regular goal scorer or assister, providing you do get goals and assists elsewhere on the pitch. And that's something that Newcastle have struggled with, isn't it? So, But I'm a big fan of St. Maximins, actually. I think, yeah, I mean, he's another one that uh, fans are going to get excited about, which is brilliant. That's what we want to see. Um, that's what fans pay their money for. Yes, he's going to be inconsistent, but he gives you that excitement. You just you pin your hopes on him. You think, oh, this guy's going to do something, and mm. I, you get the feeling that sometimes he doesn't know what he's going to do next. <laughs> but when it comes off, it comes off. And today he had a terrific game. He played with power, intensity, verve. He goes at players. He's brave, which is I think that's you know coaches talk about this all the time. Being a brave footballer means getting on the ball, wanting the ball, showing for the ball, yes. and then when you got it, having the positive intent to hurt the other team. So yeah. do you go at players? Do you try and create things? Or do you turn back and slow down your own attacks? Do you put your foot on the ball and take the take the pace out of the game? This is, you know, this is not brave. A player like San Maxim, I think he's he's really good at um at those things, being brave and taking the ball forwards. Yes, sometimes it's naive. Yes, sometimes you wish you'd have more game management and a bit more of a um a sensible approach. But then again, if we're talking about scoring goals and hurting the other team and Newcastle desperately need that because they're not exactly chock full of goals. Then um, I think it's just need... having I think more so than anything, it's like they need goals, but they need to have that player that that they live for goals. They yeah. they believe it because again the lift that gives to the team, you need to have that player that 
is just that threat, you know, just for the for what they provide, but also what they provide to the rest of the team, the belief they've given. I the think Newcastle he's a big, don't have he's that a player. Big, big threat. Yeah, he's, he's a big, big threat, but they're going to need... Obviously, Joe Linton popped in with a goal today, but that's his first goal in six months. So, obviously, yeah. it's a big, you know, it's a huge relief for him. And I'm really pleased he scored because he's another yeah. one we've spoken about before. I think he's got some unnecessary stick. I think he's been... Uh, I think it's some quite lazy, um, lazy views of him as a player. Yeah. Uh, because he's been used slightly wrongly. You know, he didn't come in as a number nine. That's not his position. It's not his best position. That's not where he's been successful before. Um, and I, and he, the thing is, he's a real trier as well. So he hasn't yeah. got his head down and, and thrown his toys out of his primary thing. He's given he's given a good effort. Um, and so, yeah, to see him on the score sheet is good again. But I agree with you. They've got Almiron, who's very good at taking the ball forward. He's pacey, he's quick, he's direct. He's a good footballer. They've got San Maxim, who's a bit... Uh, similar in one in one way, but also a bit more of unpredictability and a bit more skill about him. Uh, that's fine, but that's not consistent goals. Um, and what they were hoping for was that to come from Joe Linton. Obviously, it's worked out today, but normally that's an area where they struggle massively. So yeah, great win for them. Kind of puts a dent in my uh, in my prediction of Sheffield United <laughs> uh, coming above Wolves, but. You never know. Did you want to talk about Wolves at all, mate? I thought it was a great result there too. Although fairly predictable, if I'm honest. Fairly predictable. Um, they have a proper side. A proper, yeah. proper side. Um, yeah. They have a clear direction. Um, There's balance across the pitch. They have power. They have technique. They have intelligence. They have experience as well as um, vibrancy. They have a consistent um, source of goals, mate. A consistent source of goals. Um yeah. They're just really well balanced, and I think there's every argument to say they will be the, whether I predict it or not, I, I probably don't predict it, but I think there's a very, very good chance that they become the team that finishes in fifth and could potentially, if obviously Man City's ban um, isn't turned around, um, get the Champions League next season. I think they're a brilliant, brilliant side, and um, I know there's one player in specific, or specifically that you want to talk about, and I'd quite like to as well, so if you want to carry yeah. on with that, mate. Oh, yeah, brilliant. I thought um, Traore. Um, and yep. I just wanted to talk about his um, his impact and how he's improved as a player. So uh, he put in a, a wonderful cross from the right for uh, Jimenez's goal uh, for the opener. So Traore came off the bench. Um, you know, normally he's a starter for them, but he showed that he can be um, he can have an impact from the bench as well. And uh, you know, he picked it up in his normal position, uh, wide right. Went past the player. I think he ducked past another, and he's he's on the move, going away from goal towards the touchline. He whips across an absolutely brilliant cross, which is just begging to be put in, and Jimenez does the rest. So this is a player uh, we speak to young players all the time, work with young players. This is a player who's really, really, really honed his craft. Um, you know, he's got a lot of physical attributes. We talk about his power and pace all of the time, his one v one ability, but his crossing ability was was you know. When he first came onto the scene in this country, um, it, it was it wasn't up to scratch, it wasn't up to par. And now he's a real threat in so many different ways. And that's brilliant to see that a player, we're talking about playing the top five, you know, top five or six clubs at the moment uh in the Premier League. He's not resting on his laurels, he's working on crossing the ball, he's working on improving a specific part of his game which is taking him from strength to strength. So I think it is absolutely brilliant to see. It was a superb cross. So I'm really pleased for him. And um, yeah, I just love it when you see players and you can tell that they've worked on something, they've gone away and done it. Um, and it's made a big impact to their game. 
Yeah, brilliant. One thing I noticed, well, a few things I noticed about Adama is I think that when he came on, I don't know what you thought, I think he looked lighter and more fleet-footed. Um, I think that when Adama would go past pace before, it would be for explosive drives, yeah. um, which is great, but it can be quite one-paced and sometimes take him into unnecessary areas because it can be one-paced and maybe before didn't have the ability to slow down and manipulate the ball. Mm-hmm. There was a few times yesterday when he slowed down, used footwork, good ball manipulation and to work a different angle. Um, so if he has that to his game and a bit more light-footedness and a bit more ball mastery and the ability yeah. to slow down and go past plays in footwork, I mean, he's going to be just completely unstoppable. Um, well, we were talking about this the other day, weren't we? We were working with a player and saying, talking about the ability to to keep the ball in the final third. Yeah. Um, and that's possibly something that you'd like to see him do a little bit more often because in this instance, you know, he, he was he was terrific. He beat the player 1v1 for pace and then delivered a fantastic cross for a goal. Um, sometimes that's not called for. Like you said, sometimes it's called for to put your foot on the ball. Can you link up play? Can you can you drag your team into the final third and so allow your team to recycle and uh, keep the ball up there and then apply sustained pressure to the opposition? That's something the Wolves don't do very often and Adama Traore doesn't do very often. So that might be an, that might be an area for improvement. But I think he's had a brilliant season. And he has, yeah. It's a sign of his confidence that he's that he's you know, I think now he he thinks every game he goes into he's going to impact it positively. Yeah, that's, that's the feeling I get. This guy's on the up and up, um, and hopefully he just keeps going from strength to strength because he's I think he's brilliant. He is. One thing I would say about him though, and it is a negative, and I'll be honest, I think it's too late to improve this. I think that his crossing has gotten much better, but every single end product he produces is on the end of a driving run where he doesn't have time to think. Um, hmm. I don't think he'll ever have that composure and that um, ability to to produce end product in a variety of ways um, where he maybe has time to think and has to be more measured. I think that all of his end product have to be the end of a driving run um, where it's, you know, lashing the ball into the net or crossing with whip or curl or whatever. Um at the end of a driving run. I don't think he'll ever quite have that next level composure where he can slow down, assess um, and measure the ball and provide mm. a variety of end products. So I don't think he'll ever be a player that can slow the ball down and cross from deep, for example. I don't think you'll ever see that. I don't think he'll ever be a player that can cut inside and caress the ball into the far corner. Um, so I think that will be perhaps what stops him from joining an elite, elite club. Um, because if he did have that, he'd be one of the best players in the world because you would literally be unstoppable. Um, but I think maybe not having that ability, I think, and I don't, I don't think he'll ever have that no matter because there's not enough time. I think it's too late to work on that. If I'm being honest in terms of working on it enough times to then improve it with his age and, you know, the amount of training that he already does, et cetera, but yeah. a superb yeah, player nonetheless. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, before we wrap up, probably apt to talk about some other games that happened. So, um, we saw, um, well, if we look at Friday, first of all, um, Norwich City, um, I think it's probably safe to say they're down, isn't it? Um, Southampton, 3-0 winners. Um, I'm really, really happy, actually. Um, I'm a huge fan of Ralph Hurzenhuttle. Yeah. Um, he was getting a lot of stick early in the season, um, especially after the 9-0 drubbing. Um, yeah, but fair play, fair. turned it around. Fantastic nine, coach. Yeah. Did, and one player that I really, really like, um, and again, it just shows how difficult, again, earlier we were speaking about the how difficult it is for players to keep up that mental, technical um, consistency. And it's Nathan Redmond. I think in another lifetime, Nathan Redmond goes on to 
be far more appreciated than he is um, because he's got so much ability. He's got a great goal, um, a real threat, can score in a variety of ways, technical, fast, a really good player, but he just quite hasn't hit the levels um, that perhaps he would have hoped for, but still had a really good career. Um, yeah. I don't know if you agree with that. Oh, 100%, man. I think they're a good side. I think he's a really, really good player. I think he could have. I think he's unlucky. I think that he's he's come in a period with his quite there's other very very good players in his position um otherwise he might have he might have gone on to bigger things but he's a terrific performer and he's very consistent he's found that consistency now as well um so he's a real big part of that team and i think i agree with you it's not often you you can lose nine nil in a season and not go down um but so they've turned it around remarkably they're a good side um shame for norwich because they play some really nice football but they're going to struggle now there's six points adrift or six points out, you know, adrift from West Ham in 17th. So it's going to yeah. be um, it's going to be a, a bit of an uphill task for them. But um, yeah, there was a few other things I saw this weekend. I was uh, um, watched the Crystal Palace game, um, an absolutely brilliant kick from Novojevic. So it wasn't, yep. um, yeah, that was the standout moment for me, mate. I think he's he's, nice. he's been so good at uh, at the free kicks. I think he's he'll have to go down as as one of the best that they've had in the Premier League. Mm. Um, because he's pretty consistent as well. He's, he's, um, he really is, yeah. His, yeah, he pops up with his gold regularly. And, and Crystal Palace, believe it or not, mate, creeping up into ninth. So, Fair play um, to him. Another great yeah. job that Roy Hodgson has done. Very underappreciated. Yeah. Another underrated manager, underrated club. Yeah. You know, they're level on, on, level on points with Tottenham at the moment. They just snuck in above, uh, above Arsenal. So uh, Palace in the top 10. Uh, could see them with a late surge for uh, the Europa Cup, mate, the Europa League. Maybe, maybe. Maybe um, the Champions League places. Let's talk about that quickly. Um, the two clubs currently occupying it, aside from Man City and Liverpool, or Liverpool and Man City rather. Um, I think they probably both, after the weekend's results, I think they've both confirmed their places in the top four, if I'm honest. I know there's still a lot of football to be played, but I think that Leicester City and Chelsea, I mean, Leicester drew one all um, away to Watford and Chelsea obviously beat Aston Villa 2-1 away from home. I'd probably say they're going to finish third and fourth. I think that's, I think they're just a bit too far ahead now, um, and I don't trust the other clubs to to pick up enough points to close that gap. Um, so I would say they're going to get the top. They, they're going to fill out the rest of the top four. I agree with Leicester. I still think there's a conversation about Chelsea. I I think fair enough. I got a sneaky feeling Manchester United will pip them. Okay, really fair enough. There. Fair enough. I think they're going to put a little run together. Um, and I just I just see if yeah, Leicester confirmed for me they're very consistent. I know they only got a point the other day, but. Uh, brilliant goal from Chilwell, by the way. I don't know if you've seen that. Uh, ridiculous goal into the yes, top corner. Superb goal. Superb uh, goal. That's going to be on the list for, for goal of the season at some point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but Manchester United still have a sneaky feeling that they might get it done and, uh, and sneak past Chelsea. But it's going to be tight. Leicester, I think, is comfortable. But that's all I can say. I think Wolves will give it a really, really good go and, uh, and fall away slightly. So eight games to go, nine games to go for Chelsea, maybe. I think yeah, we're just going to see Manchester United put a little bit of heat on, I think. I think they'll all drop enough points um, to ordinarily be overtaken. I just don't know if I trust the other clubs to take advantage of that. Um, but I guess we'll see. That wraps it up for this weekend's uh, bonus episode. All that's left to say is thanks to Richards. Thanks, mate. Thanks to you guys, the listeners. Um, stay safe and we'll see you soon. Yeah.